What is going on, you deceptively dashing donkeys? Welcome to this week's episode of Total Pod Mode. My name is James, also known as Mr. Bames, and I'm joined, as always, by the wondrous Will, also known as Hoodafunk. What's up, guys? Good to be here for another episode. Welcome, welcome, good sir. How are we doing? Uh, recovering from the flu, actually, this week. It's been kind of rough. <laughs> I don't know if I sound rough on the mic, but I am definitely fit enough to sit here with my good friend for another week and crack on through another episode of Total Pod Mode. That's what we like to hear. How about you, buddy? I'm not too bad, thanks, man. I'm not too bad. Achy body. All self-inflicted, though, so Jim ache. There you go. Yeah, has to be done. Has to be done. So, uh, any war stories this week, mate? Any stories from the trenches? The battle rages on. Nice. I'm uh, currently, I have actually unplugged my doorbell now. I did take nice. your advice, because that has saved me some hassle. However, I am <laughs> still ringing my own doorbell to trigger my neighbor's doorbell as well That's i think good. that that is probably the next the next course of action so now i've kind of i've made this a one-way affair <laughs> i have missed several packages in the meantime uh <laughs> important things uh you know i th- i think might have seen some debt collectors outside the other day actually worked out in my favor on that occasion but i think that for the most part it's kind of yeah we're still at very much a deadlock my neighbor doesn't realize I don't think that this is, is happening. So at this point, I'm kind of unsure whether I want them to find out about it through this podcast or not. But either way, I'm hoping that it might actually spark them to to eventually get rid of their doorbell. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. And shout out to Will's neighbours if they're listening. Take the f***ing hint. Get rid of your doorbell. Take the hint. Fingers crossed it doesn't drag on too long, but uh, we'll see. Campaigns can last a long time sometimes. But away from the war stories... In this episode, we got the usual catch-up, we got the usual bit of news, and then, of course, we jump back into Death Stranding. What are we going to do this time? Who knows? Stick around to the end to find out. But first, let's hit those socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthrough stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. Now then... Catch up time! So, Will, let's hear it, man. What have you been playing this week? If you've been able to play stuff, of course, given uh, your flu. Yeah, uh, so, no, I really haven't been able to play very <laughs> much at all this week. Uh, it's only today, actually, that I managed to squeeze in just a tiny bit of time before the pod. Uh, but I'm pleased to say that I did manage to check out the Resident Evil 4 Chainsaw demo. Oh, yes. Tell me more. I'm very excited to hear how this was. So this is the uh, demo that released yesterday on the 9th of March. Uh, It includes sort of the very early portion of the first game. James, you, uh, after playing this as part of the games challenge last year, you'll remember the sort of the initial section where you are uh, kind of escorted in the car by the two police officers, arrive at the house, uh, and then you progress all the way up to uh, the very first village scene where you fight a load of villagers, the bell rings and everyone kind of disappears. Yeah, that's, that's essentially right. the span of it is is the very first encounters so basically this first sort of hour of the game maybe generously oh no god maybe like the first 15 minutes of the yeah. game and that was about as long as the demo took me to get through actually about oh, 15 fair. minutes but it did give me an opportunity to see and make a few observations about the game nice for one there is definitely quite a few different bits going on more so than i anticipated okay such as so the map layout to certain areas is almost identical however others certain buildings have different layouts there's a bit more complexity to the map design okay they're just a different layout essentially to the uh to, to the previous ones which is a little bit confusing because obviously certain sections are very close other sections are different so you, it's quite easy to get turned around i found myself getting lost quite easily <laughs> wow it's a lot darker as well so i really wasn't expecting myself to actually to struggle to locate where i was going and stuff like that i was expecting to feel a lot more familiar but it doesn't does that make it more appealing for you that it's different enough that you're getting lost in that it's not quite going to be a new experience but you're going to sort of have things that you're you don't just know everything about straight away i think that once i get over the initial fact that it's a little off-putting i think i definitely will find it enjoyable I think it's it was just kind of like those first initial steps into the game and everything's sort of so same, same, but different that you're kind of trying yeah. to get your head past that. But if I was able to play a little bit more of the game and get more into the control scheme, which is slightly different, 
different. They've had a rev- okay. few revisions there. It's a lot more classic compared to the sort of the original game, obviously, which felt a little bit tough. You can, you know, you can move while you shoot now and things like that. Oh, what? Really? <laughs> It's just obviously uh, more modernized and plays a bit yeah. more like the RE2 remake. Even things like the way that the prompts come up, the hitbox and how close you have to be to them when you shoot an enemy in the leg or in the head. Like in Resident Evil 4, uh, you would be able to like do a sort of a melee move finisher or a melee move follow-up to that. And you can still do that in this game, but it just... I think that the way that the villagers are and the fact that they seem a bit more aggressive makes it harder to just sort of pop one guy, then run up to a massive group of them and press the button. The guys kind of lunge at you a bit faster and stuff like that. So it's absolutely doable. And I was having a good time in the end, but it took a little bit of getting used to. I was kind of expecting it to be very forgiving and similar to RE4, whereas it's, it's not quite... I like the way that the physics and interactions work in the game. I like the fact that villagers can kind of grab you and you can even just push and shrug them off if they don't quite manage to catch your arm. It's uh, it's kind that. of interesting. This It seems a bit more physics-based or something is going on there. Oh, it all sounds quite positive, man. I mean, the changes you have mentioned are sort of changes that you'd expect from a modern remake. It sounds very promising, I've got to say. But how you answer this question will potentially change my opinion, Will. You did the first 15 minutes of the game. There's a very important thing that happens in the very first 15 minutes or so of the original game. Will, do you have the option to free the dog? I've got some bad news for you, James. That dog is, uh, yeah, sadly dead on arrival. It's dead on arrival. They actually, it's dead there. It's dead. They didn't just take it out. There's actually a corpse. There is, you, oh, you didn't, okay, yeah, literally, as you walk through the area, the dog is just, like, in a bear trap with its intestines all exposed. It's, oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought it was just not being put in anymore. Oh, no, God. no, it, it has a grisly fate as well. It's quite dark, I was surprised. Uh, yeah, that's a bad Easter egg. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the only positive from that is and it will be interesting to see how the El Gigante fight goes without a dog, but... Oh, that's sad. That's bummed me out. Well, I mean, I think that that's kind of, that's the intention, really. I think that it's supposed to set the sort of the tone that this is going to be much more grisly. It's violent as hell. When you get attacked by the axes and things like that, the animation where Leon gets hit, it's very gruesome. I mean, that's that's good. That sounds awesome, I've got to say, yeah. And something would be remiss if I didn't talk about the fact that you actually get to fight the chainsaw guy at the very end, who now looks completely horrific compared to his uh, PlayStation 2 or Wii counterpart. Yeah, bright red eyes, right? But they're sort of like, not bright red, they're like realistic, but bloodshot. They're, yeah, yes. Yeah, Yeah. very, very bloodshot, sort of pulsed out of the head. And previously it just looked like a guy with a sack over his head with the eyes cut out. Whereas this now actually just looks like, it is a person with a bag over his head, but the head underneath does not look like a human head. The eyes are spaced too far apart. uh, And as James says, they're extremely bloodshot and they look like they're bulging out of whatever head is behind the sack. So it genuinely just looks horrific. Fans of the Resident Evil series, I can't see we'll be disappointed with this one. Um, I got to see as well some little clips, some things I was pleased to see. I got my first glimpse at Krauser. Ah, awesome. Albeit it wasn't a memory of Leon's, but I feel like if it features in a memory, then he's going to show up in the game, surely he has to. He's got to. It's one of the best boss fights in the game. He's got to. Yeah, no, really looking forward to this one coming out. And it's uh, it's only a couple of weeks away from release, actually, I think, at this point. So, yeah, that's one I'll be picking up shortly. It seemed to perform really well on my PC, and the graphics look very nice as well. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of look forward to Although, big old caveat with that, demo, probably a vertical slice, not necessarily representative, all that good stuff. But fingers crossed. I really hope that it's good for you and for me, by the sounds of it, because everything you've said, set apart from the dog, rip, <laughs> rip dog, F in chat for the dog, please. But apart from that, it sounds really cool, really promising. So color me intrigued. I might even check the demo out myself. But other than that, man, like I said, that's me done for this week. What about you? What are you been up to? Continuing your adventures into Nia? Well, I think the question everyone wants to know the answer to, Will, is did I cop out? Did I start Wolong before I finished Neo? Will, good people in the podcast universe. I did not cop out. I have still not started Wolong because I'm still <laughs> playing Neo. You're still working your way through. Nearly there? I'm very close to completing Neo. So because I am very keen indeed to play Wolong, I looked up how many missions there were left. And I have got the boss that I'm currently fighting and then two more missions, therefore two more bosses. And then I will have finished the main campaign of Neo. Haven't put as much time in this week as I would have liked, but still having a great time. The challenge has sort of still been there. 
Some of the bosses have been a lot easier than other ones, I will say, but that's probably more a reflection on the fact that I'm more used to the game and I'm getting a bit better at it than necessarily the bosses are much easier in certain levels. Not really a great deal more to say than I said last week, I and mean, it still plays fantastically. I'm still using the spear and having so, so much fun. I've unlocked a few more powers and moves with it because you get s skill points that you can unlock different combo moves because, you, you know, in Neo you don't just have a single stance. You have the high stance, the mid stance, and the low stance. No, I forgot about that. Oh, farewell. So very briefly, low stance allows you to be very quick and agile, so it's more of a counter stance. Mid stance is sort of normal attacks, and high stance is slower but more powerful. And you can unlock different sort of combo moves that you can do in all the different stances. So you might be holding your block button and then you press one of the face buttons to do something cool. It might be a cool counter. It might be uh, there's one with the spear in particular where you can use the spear to flip yourself over the enemy and go behind them. So you can then attack them from behind. But yeah, it's you know great fun with the spear. I'm imagining that if Wolong has some sort of spear weapon, which I think it does, I'm pretty sure the trailers and stuff they were using. Oh spear. yeah, no, I definitely, well, I remember seeing a staff at the very least anyway, yeah. so I assume so. So I'm probably going to fuck with that when I play Wolong, but I don't want to think too much about Wolong because I've got to get this done. I'm so close. Remain focused, brother. Oh, I will, man. I reckon this time next week I'll have finished Neo and I'll have started Wolong. So yeah, I mean, that's really it. Apart from that, I have just played a little bit of Death Stranding, which we'll get into a bit later. So, unless there's anything else, I think we're all done with the catch-up. So let's move on over to some news. So our first news story this week. Google is not done with cloud gaming, Will. Shock and maybe horror? Oh, almost certainly horror. <laughs> EMOTIONAL DAMAGE! Despite Stadia closing down in January, Google have said that whilst they will no longer be pursuing first-party opportunities in the cloud gaming space, they will be, and I quote, working with major publishers and will play a role in upcoming cloud gaming projects. Now, according to a report by Axios, and again this is a quote, Google Cloud Division is shifting to provide support for games publishers working on live service games. This takes the form of Google's new Google Cloud Bundle, which includes a mix of new and existing services. These include offering cloud storage data management, a game-focused server platform, and searchable game and player analytics. Google claims its new bundle will help publishers and developers manage the risk of live service projects, which can be highly profitable but suffer from unique technical challenges. Now, I find this an interesting direction, personally, given how much f***ing Stadia failed. Why would anyone trust Google to help them with their cloud-based situations? But very interesting nonetheless. What are your thoughts on this, man? Yeah, I think it's definitely an interesting one, given the lack of success that Stadia had. Because, essentially, in that turn, it felt like they were kind of admitting defeat in the fact that they were no longer willing to manage their own cloud gaming service, and therefore, you know, you would think that it just wasn't profitable. Now they're coming back and actually trying to provide this environment for third-party developers to actually offer their own service. You say here that they're sort of uh, removing some of the risk there in terms of technical difficulties. They'll be providing some of the infrastructure, it sounds like. So I think that it's understandable from that perspective. It sounds like they're kind of farming it out in the sense that if anyone wants to tr have a crack at it and do it any better, yeah. then they're welcome to give it a go. It might be a sort of a way of avoiding any sunken costs given all the development that's gone into this. It's a way that it can potentially be profitable whilst not having to do any of the hard work of actually coming out with interesting games to play. That actually, I hadn't considered that. That actually makes it make a little bit more sense to me. It then doesn't become about the credibility of Google or what they can offer. It becomes about the quality of their infrastructure. You know, it's a good way to turn a profit on some stuff that they've already got whilst exactly. avoiding all of those sunken costs that they would have put into developing it in the first place. So our second news story today, slightly following on from a news story we actually mentioned a couple of weeks ago. So we reported that Nintendo had signed a 10-year deal with Microsoft to bring Call of Duty back to the platform, and it was stated that by Xbox that Call of Duty would be available for Switch users the same day as Xbox with full feature and content parity. And my esteemed colleague Will here rightly questioned how this would be possible given the differences in hardware power and uh, things of that nature, and... It seems that someone at Microsoft was listening because they've released a statement this week on this very subject. Now, I should probably start this by saying they've released a relatively lengthy statement on this and have managed to say absolutely f all in that statement. Okay. It's really impressive. I, I take it there's no, uh, yeah, there's no definitive answer as to how they're going to get Warzone to run on the Switch, is there? Or? No definitive answer. What they've essentially said is, ah, 
Ah, Fortnite works on the Switch, so there's no reason why Warzone can't. <laughs> of course, right, yeah. You know? Okay. I mean, Apex does run on the Switch, which is, I thought, yeah. Was, yeah, I was impressed at that. The article I have here from our good friends Gamerant says that to persuade the CMA that it's dedicated to following through with the agreement, a Microsoft filing features a summary of its plans to bring Call of Duty to the Nintendo Switch. Microsoft have said that the Warzone engine is optimized to run across a wide range of hardware devices. That is true. That it that is. is true. A bunch, all the consoles, bar the Switch. Yep, including diverse PC hardware. Again, very true. They have yep. to account for I mean, a lot of different specs. A lot of games are, but yes, for, yes. But then without going into any detail whatsoever, they just say, ah, it's more than flexible enough to work with the Switch. <laughs> okay. So it's going to obviously be extremely graphically toned down. Oh, yeah. They cited Fortnite as the example for sort of online service games that work really well. That's got cartoon graphics. I would imagine that Warzone will be not quite down to that level, but it's going to be a lot more washed out than on the console or the PC, I would have thought. There's no way they can run it at full whack, right? Not on the current Switch, anyway. Yeah, no, there's absolutely no way that they would get a decent-looking Warzone 2 on a Switch. But I think that it'll, you know, it'll be one of those ones where it will look passable, and for a lot of people that are playing primarily on the Switch, it's just not going to be an issue, you know, playing it on a smaller screen. It's it's kind of, it's one of those uh, ignorance is bliss sort of things. It yeah. looks fine until you see it played on a 4K monitor <laughs> and that sort of thing, and then, uh, then it becomes a little harder to bear. But I think that it'll be an interesting one to see. I'll definitely give it a go, just like I did with Apex Legends, I just had to see just how much they'd uh, managed to squish the game down to make it run on the Switch. And how was Apex on the Switch? Uh, so I played it using the Switch Pro controller, so, okay. uh, you know, the controls were solid. It was mostly just an issue with things like the, the resolution was just really bad. It was really hard to see people from a far distance away just because even when zoomed in, they were tiny little dots on the screen sort of thing. Screen resolution was a problem as well as the frame rate just overall was choppy sort of thing. Not terrible, but yeah, not a stable 30 either. No, but noticeable enough that in a game that requires you to have at least a modicum of accuracy. Yeah, I don't like playing competitive games where the frame rate's choppy. I just, just can't deal with that. No, that's understandable but it was worth a go you know and, and i was still impressed to see i was thinking that there's definitely people out there that would uh would have a fun time playing it so yeah if they'd managed to get warzone 2 on their fair play i'll certainly check it out for about 15 minutes <laughs> honestly i think we probably need to see a bit more information on the games the specs and all that good stuff and maybe even some gameplay footage when they actually port it over before we make a full judgment on it i just don't see how it works i just don't personally but hey we'll see but our final news story today we finally, finally have a confirmed release date for Starfield. Now, I say finally because we've already had two and they've both been missed. So Okay, okay. The game was originally set to launch in November of 2022. It then got delayed to, what was it, April or something like that? April or May? But it has now finally got an official launch date on the Xbox and PC of 6th of September. In the same statement from Bethesda, it was announced that there will also be a Starfield Direct event on the 11th of June, where, on top of an update on what else Xbox Game Studios are working on, we will get to see a bit more gameplay, some behind-the-scenes stuff, and hopefully some more game mechanics and things like that for Starfield itself. Interesting side note to all this, 11th of June is also the day that E3 is meant to start, so... Ooh, stealing it a bit of thunder there. This is quite exciting if you're if you're interested in Starfield, I feel, you know, nice to actually have a firm date, uh, assuming it doesn't change again, of course. And hopefully with this direct, we might see some things that make me at least personally a bit more excited. What, what are your thoughts on this, man? I know that initially we had the same sort of not great impression of the game. Yeah, I did actually get to see, uh, I think it was actually last time we discussed it on the pod. I'd seen some more recent gameplay footage than I think than when we'd last discussed this. Yeah. And I was actually a bit encouraged by that. I'm still, you know, this game is still sort of on my periphery of hype oh, yeah. rather than kind of a mainline thing that I'm going to be looking forward to. But uh, I think that I was definitely reassured that this game was going to release in a much better state, uh, you know, in terms of at least some of the jankiness that we were able to see in that initial trailer. There were there were bits of gameplay footage that genuinely just look like alpha builds and i think at that yeah. time they were talking about releasing it in the next in sort of the following quarter so i think that this is definitely one i know that you're going to pick it up and i think that yeah. you know i'm actually uh, looking forward to hearing you talk about it sort of thing it's definitely got me intrigued me too i, I don't know if i'm going to day one this because when we first saw it 
wasn't really looking great. I'm not mad keen on the basic premise from what I know as well, which is, you know, Skyrim in space. Sounds all right, but... I'm more of a fantasy guy than Yeah, I was going to say, so. you lean, lean more towards fantasy than sci-fi. Exactly. But that being said, it is still a Bethesda RPG, which means it's probably going to be really good. So I'm hyped, but I'm sort of low-key hyped for it. Hyped within reason. I'm hyped for the fact that it's a Bethesda <laughs> game more than in the actual game itself. Doesn't sound that hype. <laughs> no. <laughs> Measurably hyped. Yeah, I'm sort of, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm sort of in that 3-4 bracket. You're doing this purely down to loyalty to Bethesda rather than... Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. I want Elder Scrolls 6. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get Starfield out of the way. I need to consume it. Give me Elder Scrolls 6. I need it! Uh, so with all that hype, in air quotes, sort of simmered down, we're, we're chilling out again now, we're relaxing... We've come to the end of the news. It's now time for Completionist Corner. Here we go for the Completionist's Corner. 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 So, quick bit of admin here before I hand over to Will for the start of this week's Completionist Corner. We made a slight boo-boo on last week's episode because apparently neither of us can remember names correctly. So, we mentioned that Mads Mikkelsen's mystery man character was named Clive Unger in last week's episode, and his name's actually Clifford Unger. So, apologies to any hardcore Death Stranding fans that may have been listening and were deeply offended, and apologies to just you guys in general for making a mistake like that. I'm pinning this one on you, man. I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to pin this one on you. For no reason, really. That's fair, you know, yeah. p- you p- pin it on the guy that's never played the game before versus the guy that's played <laughs> it a bunch. That's, that's fine, I'll, I'll take that criticism. <laughs> oh dear, so no, apologies for the oversight. It'll be corrected in this episode. And with that, Will, take us away, bud. So, on this episode, Sam wakes up in his private room and meets with Deadman, who explains that there is a serious issue with his bridge baby. As we already know, bridge babies span the gap between life and death itself. Due to having technically never been born, they are considered neither alive nor dead themselves. The issue with Sam's BB, which Sam has now affectionately named Lou, is that it appears the connection they are developing by spending so much time together is affecting the bridge-baby connection, causing it to move closer and closer to the world of the living. The baby is beginning to grow, become self-aware, store more memories, and develop into an actual living baby. Sam doesn't seem very concerned by this, however, Deadman explains that if this does happen, BB, or Lou, will cease to function. In order to fix this issue, the BB will need some sort of procedure to reset it, although Deadman does warn that performing the procedure may also cause Lou to lose his memories of Sam. The procedure will also take some time, meaning Sam will need to go on his journeys without BB for a while. Yeah, which is pretty hard-hitting. Got yeah. used to having the little guy around, you know? And this is a tough part of the game as well, to be dodging BTs without BB to help you, without Lou. Yeah, you can say that again. For obvious reasons, Sam is not keen to relinquish Lou to Deadman straight away, and Deadman actually struggles to wrestle the pod containing Lou away from Sam. When Deadman finally does manage to pry the pod away from Sam, Lou activates a little valve on his pod and appears to sort of piss all over Deadman. And this is why I hate these things. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of unclear whether it is actually piss or not. It seems to be just sort of fluid that bursts from the uh, the pod, but I think that that's clearly meant to be the implication. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of um, the stereotypical scene that you may have seen in like pop culture where you're changing a child's nappy and the fountain just f***ing comes up. Absolutely, yeah. Gets hit like a mini, mini garden hose. Exactly. Deadman, now covered in urine or the fluid from Lou's pod, decides to jump in Sam's shower to quickly wash off. He does this <laughs> fully, fully clothed. clothed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sam sits for a while before noticing Deadman appears to just be standing in the shower doing nothing. So he gets up to investigate. Cue one of the weirdest scenes in all yeah. of Death Stranding. <laughs> and that's saying something, believe me. So kind of intentionally creepy, yet like yeah. kind of out of place and weird. And Deadman like proper getting in Sam's personal space for no reason. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's brilliant. So on opening the shower door, Deadman pulls Sam into the cubicle and hushes him against the wall. <laughs> He obviously wants to say something in private. And bear in mind that this shower cubicle barely fits Sam. 
Dead Man has obviously found out that they won't be monitored as long as they're both in the shower, so this is a prolonged scene where Sam and Dead Man, standing in very close quarters, have a discussion. At several points, Dead Man clearly forgets that Sam has asymphosomphomia, uh, the fear of physical touch, and he almost pins Sam against the wall trying to lean in and whisper in his ear. Sam spends most of this conversation avoiding eye contact and with his back up against the wall. Deadman tells Sam that he's been looking into the first Bridge Baby experiments, and, following our discovery last week that the Bridge Baby research held under the former president caused a void-out explosion, Deadman explains that all the research into Bridge Babies was supposedly cancelled, except that it wasn't, and the research was actually continued in secret under Bridget Strand, the successive president, and mother to Sam and Emily. Deadman explains Bridget wanted to find a way to incorporate Bridge Babies into the Chiral Network to facilitate travel to and from the beach. Both Sam and Deadman ponder if Die Hard Man knew anything about this and if he is carrying on some of Bridget's intentions. My early sort of guess is yes, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about, yeah, <laughs> it's believable. <laughs> Deadman then leaves Sam to think on that, taking Lou with him to begin the resetting procedure. And as I sort of mentioned earlier, this was actually like, quite dark like i felt like no i didn't feel complete going out and i you're probably going to mention it's now but when you get the lift cut scene when you're going up you normally like if you're about to see a bb flashback memory you sort of get like sam sort of up on the lift like sort of caressing bb like sort of comforting him a little bit with this one he goes to do it and it's just an empty like attachment on his chest and he's just like oh yeah right he just kind of shrugs yeah and it's really like <laughs> it's sort of low-key sad I found it funny. I don't know why. Yeah, it was. Like... It was hilarious, but it was also low-key <laughs> sad. It was just like, oh, yeah, we're there without my buddy. Sam now needs to help speed up BB's resetting procedure by connecting local areas to the chiral network, boosting chiral density in the local atmosphere, and strengthening BB's connection to its still mother. Convenient. That's what we needed to do anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's Game a lot of kind of justifying the continuing, <laughs> <laughs> the continuing loop. Sam is obviously becoming very attached to BB after obviously giving him the name Lou, and also during the whole next section, as James mentioned earlier, Sam is constantly reminding himself how it's not the same without BB. Yeah, he's missing his buddy. Sam makes a very quick delivery to a doctor after leaving Mountain Knot City. He connects him to the UCA as the first step. And along your way here, you can also find a little hot spring behind the doctor where Sam can sit down and take a break. So there's actually quite a few different hot spring areas in the game that you can discover as you wander around, and they just permit you to recover your stamina much quicker than you would by normally resting on the ground. Yeah, have a little soak. I think you get some sort of small passive buffs as well for a short period of time after using it. Yeah, sounds about right. That's the normal sort of hot spring in game sort of affair, isn't it? Yeah. Sam also visits a roboticist who is keen to join the network as well, and as he's navigating the mountain areas, he'll actually start to need some new equipment for that, given that a lot of these areas will be covered in thick snow. Sam gets provided with the all-terrain power skeleton from the roboticist, which enables him to traverse the snow without suffering any of the speed penalty that it normally gives you. Really useful item this, which I didn't use. <laughs> Did you not use either? Nah, because I... I... I've become quite attached to my just power ones with like they give me the extra 100 kilo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is ridiculous because I'm now not carrying huge heavy loads, particularly when we're walking up all these mountains and stuff. I just didn't think to change it, honestly. You moron! And also I'll say at this stage as well, you mentioned, or we mentioned last week rather, that um, I did climb a snowy mountain and that I didn't think there was a cold mechanic. And you were like, ah, oh, yes, it's there, believe me. Fucking no now. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Your stamina, stamina just drains a lot faster, essentially, yeah. in the cold. Yeah. Because I was like, why am I moving so slowly? And why have I got half of my stamina bars, like, black and white grayed out, you know? I yeah, like, that's oh, it. this must be the cold mechanic that we were talking about. <laughs> also, you can get, uh, if you sort of rest in the snow for too long and stuff, you can actually get frostbite on your oh, hands you? and feet. Yeah. Oh, that's jokes. That's a nice touch. So, as I mentioned before, Sam is unable to see the BTs during these deliveries, which makes things a lot harder for him. Although we are granted with the ability to cut their chiral ties with the blade that Mama gave us last week, which may come in handy if you accidentally stumble into one of their umbilical ties, for the most part, you're kind of just accidentally stumbling around into BTs and then very suddenly changing direction, holding your breath and running off. <laughs> Must say, though, I did do exactly what you've just described. I was walking around and I got, I, it started chiral snowing, so I knew there were going to be BTs about, so I crouched down. 
didn't hold my breath or anything, just crouched. And I was walking along, minding my own business, didn't see anything, just chilling. And then I get a little little thing flashes up on my screen. And I was like, ooh, X to do what? So I moved back really slowly and was like moving around. It was like, press X to cut umbilical cord. And I was like, there's a BT here. <laughs> Couldn't see the thing. So anyway, did it and I got the kill. Then it, I came up with another one and this was really interesting. It wasn't a kill. It was a baby BT again. Like oh, um, mama's yeah. one. So I cut it and it just started crying. And I think I got some likes. That's right. Yeah, you get likes yeah. if you free the baby ones. Yeah. Uh, the BTs give you likes whenever you cut their umbilical cords, I believe. Oh, really? I didn't notice that for the normal BT. But, yeah. But yeah, so it was just really, really quite cool. Like, I didn't see anything. Like, there was no tell for me. I was just, I crouched because it was chiral snowing and I knew it was coming and just walked into it randomly. Great. And you're right, it completely breaks the game, one shot. And when you can actually see their umbilical cords, when you get Lou back, it's just insane how easy the game becomes in terms of farming those chiral crystals. Is this easy mode? Sam then gets an order to deliver antibiotics to the wife of a mountaineer up in the mountains, unsurprisingly. Oh, this motherfucker in his trek of a journey jeez sam travels all the way up the mountain to reach the base and the mountaineer's wife is actually the person who needs the antibiotics she is pregnant and in bad health the mountaineer asks you to go to the doctor to retrieve a medical device that will help the mountaineer's wife deliver her baby so onwards sam travels back to the doctor and he brings back a couple of devices that when combined will allow the doctor to remotely deliver the baby from the safety and comfort of his own shelter which is madness to me damn this chiral network's powerful you know i imagine it's just going to be like uh you know how the drones are just those kind of carrying crates with human legs that they yeah. do I imagine this one's just going to be two human arms and then he's just sat there like with a camera and he's just manipulating some rubber yeah. rubber digits, I guess. So it's like in those old sci-fi films where you'd see like the rubber gloves inside the box and you control it and it moves the robot arm. <laughs> yeah. It's like that. I think that's exactly <laughs> that, yeah. This was probably the hardest order to date, in my opinion, for the simple fact that from the mountaineer to the doctors back to the mountaineers again... If you haven't got a zip line in place, is an insane route. So many mountains and rock faces to climb up, and exactly. yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot, and BTs to get through without your uh, without your bridge baby Lou as well. Exactly. Like, and this sounds like a complaint. It's not. I thought it was excellent level design. Really good challenge. Just uh, wish that I'd built a zip line on my first trip. That's all I'll say. Even if you did, it would have still been difficult and you'd have only been able to save yourself at most half of the route just because yeah. the Mountaineer doesn't join the network until you've brought him the Doctor's equipment the second time round. Exactly. So he wouldn't even join to the network and allow you to build that zipline all the way to him just yet, unfortunately. But you could have saved yourself about at least at least a third of the trip. Maybe yeah, half. Yeah, you could save yourself getting halfway up that mountain. Yeah. That's the yeah. Hard, hardest bit, yeah. I made that same mistake. Uh, another online player actually left a zipline at the top of the mountain. I just kept on forgetting to put one on the bottom. So I could have yeah. could have saved myself a bit of struggle. But no, as you say, the, the pleasure is in the journey, isn't it? Sort of thing that, that you have to get around the environment. It's fun. Yeah, and the pain in this instance too. <laughs> the mountaineer then goes on to ask Sam to make a delivery to another recipient, one that is not yet connected to the chiral network. So, onward, Sam travels to the photographer and drops off her package. After that, the photographer asks Sam a special favour to retrieve her father's camera, which she lost while she was being pursued by terrorists in the nearby fields. Sam sneaks into the camp, this time armed with non-lethal assault rifles, so this is kind of a time to actually get stuck into some combat in the game outside of boss fights now. Did you find yourself in a similar predicament, James? I certainly did, and I've thoroughly enjoyed taking the one person out because I learned a new game mechanic in this fight. Did you know, Will, that if you look at an enemy and you use the button that you can use to shout to communicate with other porters that you can distract said enemy to come to you by themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not know that you could do that. Right, okay. And I accidentally did it. I didn't even mean to press the button and I saw him come in and I was like, oh, this is excellent. So I distracted him like up a hill away from all his mates. Ah, uh, okay. Popped him, got the camera, but everyone else was then alerted. So I was then on top of like this, this mountainous bit, like shooting down on people 
running away a bit, then turning around to pop the people that are firing behind me. It was so fun. Once you get access to those guns, it changes up the game completely, doesn't it? And it also it really makes the does. game instantly feel a lot more recognisable. Kind of yeah. You're shooting stuff, you've got to worry about your health far more, and <laughs> things like that. Yeah, get some headshots. Yeah. <laughs> and it's worth saying, that the gunplay in this game, whilst not the best I've ever played, once you're used to it, it is very satisfying. Yes, absolutely, yeah. For yeah. a game that has little to no focus on gunplay at all, it's yeah. surprisingly okay (laughs) it's excellent when you consider that yeah yeah but in terms of just like general gunplay six seven out of ten pretty good works perfectly for what the game needs yeah uh so sam uh, as we described there through various non-lethal but still violent means manages to retrieve (laughs) the camera back from the terrorists and shortly after hartman calls sam and tells him that the camera he recovered had some pretty interesting information on it the photographer's father was actually looking into the origins of the Death Stranding as well. And there is a photo on the camera of cave paintings which shows a whale. Although, based on Bridges' records, the locale would have been far too far from the ocean for the painter to have witnessed a whale. This actually suggests that it's not a cave painting of a whale, but instead that Neanderthals have experienced seeing beached things and a Death Stranding previously. This game just keeps on getting more and more complicated. Yeah, we're starting to uncover now that this extinction event of the Death Stranding is not the first one that this Earth has gone through. Deadman calls Sam and explains that Lou is almost ready and it sounds as if he's got a little attached to Lou during his testing as well. You can tell he's just speaking a lot more softly about the baby and uh, and, and being much more friendly towards it in general as opposed to before where he's treating it like a piece of equipment. A tool. I think he literally called it a tool. Yeah. Yeah. He says that Sam has one more site to connect to stop the chiral levels fluctuating in the local area and after that, Lou should be good to go. Finally. The Mountaineer then emails Sam, asking him to pay a visit and collect an order. So, Sam heads back again. The Mountaineer discovered a bunch of rock samples with handprints on them that appear to be the BT handprints on his travels around the mountain. When he mentioned this to a nearby spiritualist, they sounded very excited and want to examine the rocks themselves. So... Sam takes the rocks to the spiritualist, but before he sets off, Lochner calls Sam and explains that another chiral storm is headed towards Mountainot City, similar to the supercell that sucked Sam away to Cliffhanger, who he fought over with Lou in last week's episode. The plot thickens. As does the chiral density. <laughs> Sam travels through a whiteout snowstorm before arriving at the spiritualist shelter. So this is actually quite another cool bit in the game. You get to see a new weather condition here, the whiteout blizzard. Yeah. And it truly is a whiteout. You can't see anything in front of you. You can probably maybe see about any rocks about a metre ahead. But other than that, everything is completely coming out of the blue here. Yeah. Very strong winds as well, which are affecting the controls. So Yeah, and your stamina. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really nice to see just how many different ways they can think for weather conditions to affect the gameplay, you know, beyond just having a... Uh, a visibility meter or whatever like that yeah and what was also really cool about this is as much as they could do it with with a whiteout it literally came out of nowhere yeah it felt like one minute i was just walking in the snow it was a lovely sunny day the next all i can see is a rough outline of norman reedus and as will says there generously a meter in front of you generously it's great looks fantastic as well yeah you would think that kind of it wouldn't be too hard to to replicate something like that but the amount of detail and effort it must have took is is really impressive the way that they pulled it off visually so after arriving at the spiritualist shelter she explains that the rocks originate from before the times of humanity even she also explains that the mountain used to be a pyramid in ancient times and the whole area is actually in fact strongly connected to the past and can provide so much valuable intel like the rocks She's going to try and date the stone fragments in order to better understand the origins of the Death Stranding, and she thanks Sam for the delivery and explains that she'll be in touch once she makes any discoveries. Deadman then calls you to explain that Lou is now up and running again, although it's not showing any signs of attachment or recognition yet, so it is entirely possible that its memory may indeed have been erased. Which would be sad. Yeah, we don't want to lose our buddy. Lou seems pretty keen on us as well. It's not just uh, Sam that's liking taking a liking to Lou. Two-way street. Deadman isn't able to hand over Lou just yet, though, as he went out of the field to do some further testing, but the chiral storm that Lochner phoned to tell Sam about earlier is preventing him from returning to his base. So, Sam will need to meet him in a nearby cabin instead. 
As he heads towards the cabin, you can see the supercell forming out of the storm like a giant downwards traveling cyclone from a dark cloud. And this is another really impressive visual yeah. feat that the game's achieved, sort of thing. This massive storm that you can see overhead looks really impressive. As Sam approaches the cabin, Deadman opens the door and tells Sam to stay back. But it's way too late. Both <laughs> Sam, Deadman, and Lou are all pulled into the air and sucked away. No! The scene opens to Deadman holding Lou and looking for somewhere to hide amongst a battle taking place in a city. Deadman takes shelter under a bridge whilst skeletal soldiers and a large tank draped in fleshy parts passes overhead. One of the creepy baby dolls with the punctured heads floats towards and bumps into Deadman's leg, and then you can see the doll being gripped by a tiny small black tendril that pulls it away. I'm not really sure what it's supposed to I think it's obviously the connection, the stranding to Cliff Unger and... I don't know, maybe he can like see through the dolls or sense things through the yeah. dolls. I don't really understand what that's about. It was very odd, this scene. In the distance, in a sewer, you can see Unger, accompanied by his usual troop of soldiers, searching for Lou. And in this scene, it's a little confusing as well, because he's actually wearing and takes off a pair of night vision goggles, which obviously doesn't yeah. line up with the fact that in our last battlefield, it was supposed to be World War One. Why is he now wearing a set of night vision goggles? Exactly. Sam then wakes up to the sound of gunfire, air sirens and chaos again, and he gets a call from Deadman, who says that he's currently surrounded by soldiers that look like their uniforms are consistent with World War II soldiers, in fact. Once again, uh, Night Vision goggles, World War II, it still doesn't quite line up in terms of the technology there. Uh, just right. why is this battlefield involving such disparate time frames? Deadman tells Sam to look for a sewer entrance so he can find him. Sam navigates through streets full of gunfire, tanks and the sounds of battle. He eventually finds the entrance and is able to meet with Deadman and collect Lou from him. You can see now that Lou seems to have grown attached to Deadman as well. And as Sam takes Lou back, he actually reaches out to touch Deadman. Which I didn't like. Yeah, I got jealousy vibes here. Yeah, innit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the f*** are you doing, That's baby? my baby. Exactly. He don't love you like I love you. As Sam connects Lou to his suit, he notices that this time he isn't greeted with the usual visions that are suspected to be Lou's memories from the past either. So again, this is all sort of suggesting that their special bond has been somewhat severed or disconnected due to the resetting process. Which was, again, very sad, but we have we have a job to do, so I couldn't dwell on it at this point. Yeah, distressing, but let's go kill Unger first. Sam leaves the sewers and we're greeted to another vision of Unger reclining in his barbed wire spider bed. Unger drops down and begins to hunt Sam and Lou. And this fight is harder than the last one. Some of Unger's men are now armed with rocket launchers. Yes. Uh, the environment, as we spoke about earlier, is much more open in terms of design as well. You can catch a lot more bullets. Yeah, and a lot less, like the cover's a lot lower, it felt. It is, yeah. There's not sort of those clearly defined trenches that you had before that you yeah. could duck in and out of. How did you find this fight? Uh, well, a lot harder than the first one, as you said there. I mean, those rocket launcher troops in particular, they took a while to fire, but they'd literally sprint to where you were, stand pretty much point blank to you, <laughs> and, just, yeah. and just fire. So you, I felt that I had enough time to take them out quickly, and I never got killed by the rocket launchers, but I just couldn't believe the bravado on them just running up to you. Yeah, they put the pressure on quick, don't they? Exactly. I mean, it was great. It was cool. But the main thing that made this fight so much harder is a combination of two things. One is the lower cover and the fact it's more open. And, you know, sort of as a result, items were sort of more widely dispersed. So to get a gun when you run out of ammo, basically, you have to run a lot further and cover a lot more ground. But the other thing is, in the first fight, like when you shoot him enough times and he sort of loses a stock, say, he runs off and sort of regroups. In the trenches one, he'd be running off like quite a long way away and then you, you so you'd have time to sort of Raccoon, go do your, your thing. Back, exactly. Pick up some more weapons. Exactly. Whereas this time, I found at least, particularly in the penultimate stock to the final stock, he literally went around the corner. Yeah, 10 metres. <laughs> yeah, Literally yeah. just walked around the corner. So I'm running like, cool, I'll get myself a gun. And I see him like, whoa, I need to run away again. But yeah, how about you, man? How did you find this one in comparison to the last one? So um, I think you were saying that the last one was uh, very, very tough at times for you. Yeah, big challenge. And I, I yeah. took a leaf out of my book that I did last time and I just whacked down the difficulty right down to get my way through this section just to avoid any sort of struggling really i mean i do like the fighting sections i think they're cool set pieces but they become significantly less fun after multiple deaths and retrying them over and over again yeah. so well on the hardest difficulty setting like you say just they tank it just yeah so, yeah so absolutely. particularly with that one where you're they're just around the corner you got no chance yeah uh on the harder difficulties someone can absolutely 
just light you up with a few bullets, uh, especially from a shotgun, and it can sort of have you over in seconds. So Sam is eventually able to defeat the soldiers and Unger using weapons scavenged across the battlefield. Yeah, Shouts to the assault rifle. I like the shotgun in this one, weirdly. It was doing bits for me. Unger crawls forwards on the ground and is kind of speaking and mumbling to himself, muttering about regretting ever having agreed to put Lou in his bridge baby pod. He says it's all his fault and he should have never put Lou in the prison, obviously referring to the pod. Unger grabs Sam and they both struggle as they did last time. In the tussle, Sam appears to rip off Unger's dog tags and he's then greeted with another vision from the past. It appears that we're now seeing Unger, after he was shot by the guards that he was trying to escape from with Lou last week, He's now locked himself in a room whilst the guards try to break in, and the vision ends. Still no closer to finding out what this guy's deal is. What's the deal? Sam wakes up in his private room after being spat out by the supercell. When he goes to check on Lou in the pod, however, he's startled to see another creepy baby doll floating in the pod instead. (laughs) Sam snaps awake from his nightmare and checks on Lou. Yeah, this one got me good as well, I've got to say. Yeah, yeah, it's... I knew what it was straight away this time. I was like, nightmare, cool. But I was like, ah, this motherfucker. (laughs) Dead man enters Sam's room to debrief. And during this conversation, he mentions that he now knows the reason why Sam gave BB the name Lou. Yeah, this was another sort of um, pretty emotional reveal, this one. Didn't see this one coming at all. So dead man actually discovered some records from around 10 years ago where a young woman died suddenly whilst she was in hospital and her husband was a member of Bridges and also a doom sufferer. Sound familiar? Her husband tried to get her out, but couldn't make it in time. And as a result, the whole nearby town was wiped off the map, leaving behind nothing but a crater and the man. People wanted answers, and the sole survivor was the only suspect, and he was also obviously the easiest to blame. People also blamed Bridges too, because the man worked for them. And because of this, the man decided to leave Bridges and sever all ties. The young woman was called Lucy, and she was pregnant in the hospital at the time of her death and the couple were going to name their son Lou. So if it isn't already painfully obvious, this man that we were talking about before that survived the crater explosion is obviously Sam. And this potentially raises another question. It also kind of explains that Lucy in the photo... That's exactly the question I was going to raise. Is is that actually Emily in the photo, or is it Lucy? Lucy, yeah. Yeah. Because you speculated at the start that she looked pregnant. Which I didn't clock. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, she's, yeah, she's got a big old That big would old make perfect sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Pregnant yeah. with Lou. Exactly, I think that's, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's um, that's it. It's just like, if you haven't drawn the line in your own, or the game hasn't drawn the line explicitly at that point yet, but if you've, if you've either played it a few times or you remember looking back, you've got a good memory, then yeah, you can get those snippets. Deadman also begins to explain a little about himself. And also, this gets even weirder. Yeah. So Deadman explains that his own body is actually 70% harvested from human cadavers. Because he's mostly grown from stem cells and human body parts combined. And whenever parts of his body rejected or didn't function properly, they were simply swapped out with other cadaver parts instead. Yeah, literally calls himself a Frankenstein's monster. Exactly that, yeah. I'm Frankenstein's monster. Deadman describes himself as completely soulless or having no car. That's spelled K-A. So people in Death Stranding recognise the ancient Egyptian conception of the soul, whereby a being is made up of the body, known as Ha, and the soul, known as Ka. Deadman is all Ha and no Ka. All body and no soul. He was made in a lab as a sort of Frankenstein's monster, as James mentioned earlier. This also means Deadman has no beach, no mother, and no afterlife. Obviously, the implications there is that when you die, your soul or your car goes to the beach. He explains this is why he's so obsessed with learning all about the Death Stranding, which is a pretty good reason for me. Deadman also shows Sam the dog tags that they had to pry from his hands whilst he was passed out on returning from Unger's beach. Clifford Unger was actually a US Special Forces soldier fighting in Kosovo, Iraq and Afghanistan. Which again brings into question why all these references to World War One and World War Two, if this guy couldn't have even possibly fought in those wars given his appearance and age. Yeah. Whilst Sam ponders this and takes a shower, Hartman calls him and explains that Ha or our bodies all occupy the same world, but Ka, our souls, have their own beaches. These beaches are given form by our beliefs, religion, and philosophies. And as a result, a beach can be anything, and those anythings form a multiverse of beaches. However, If lots of people die at once, beaches can become tangled and grouped. Uh, This can often happen during wars, for instance. 
And on a beach, you experience a cycle of these memories endlessly, like a record player. This, again, is sort of reflected when Sam is joining the various beach battles, like the initial one. He's watching a sort of an ongoing battle on the front lines that just seems to be repeating itself over and over. Sam then packs up his things and proceeds out of his private room for his next mission. As Sam leaves his private room and connects Lou to his suit, he sees another vision of Unger in the medical room where Lou was kept in the past, clearly before any of the events where he was shot whilst trying to escape. He turns around and there's a man who he refers to as John. You can't make out his face as he is standing too far off away from the glass. John and Unger greet each other and embrace. Unger tells John that he took his wife into care in order to avoid any risks to her health. The man called John speaks and apologises to Unger, saying that he had no idea Unger was the husband, and then the vision fades. This obviously sounds quite ominous there. Yeah, and it's worth noting as well, doesn't he greet him as commander, insinuating that John was perhaps um, in Unger's regiment under his command? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they definitely have some history that goes away back. The voice of the man, John, is actually recognisable at this point in the cutscene. Pretty recognisable indeed. Could this actually be Die Hardman? That's exactly what I thought when I first heard it. Although we couldn't fully see his face through the glass, he didn't appear to be wearing his black mask. And Sam had previously mentioned before this that Die Hardman had been wearing his mask for as long as he'd known him. So if this is Die Hardman, this vision is clearly from a very, very long time ago. Sam arrives at the top of the elevator and gets a call from Die Hardman. He explains that a massive tar belt is surrounding Edgenot City, which is Sam's final destination, and also where Amelie is being kept, and where Higgs is supposedly lurking. Every single reason ever to go there. The last step on the way to connecting America. Before Sam can head there, he needs to go see the researcher Hartman and connect the region to the UCA. Hartman asks that you bring the dog tags of Unger with him, as well as Mama's deceased body. He explains that Mama's body actually hasn't shown any signs of necrosis since she died in last week's episode, and therefore they haven't actually incinerated her as they would do normally to avoid a void outblast. This is very curious. Yeah, a very big turn up for the books here, a person who is not showing any signs of decomposition. Clearly has something to do with her interesting connection with Lochner as well, her twin sister, them being conjoined twins with both of their cars now in the same ha, <laughs> but with one ha remaining and without a car, does that then prevent it from causing a void out? Because... A void out requires a body that actually had a car leaving it at that point. So many questions get asked every time you think you're getting an answer in this game. But I extrapolated just that from it. I figured that the fact that the soul was still alive and well, but in a different body was meaning that that body didn't need to be messed with. Just like the soul didn't progress to the beach once the body had died, the body doesn't decompose. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Lochner then wheels over Mama's corpse in a body bag and gives it to Sam. Sam proceeds to travel through the snowy mountains and he arrives at Hartman's lab after connecting the location to the chiral network. Now this is a kind of a lab surrounded by a load of snowy mountains, but also in the distance you can see a heart-shaped crater in the ground nearby as well, which is a, a little touch there, uh, you know, being Hartman's abode. And the story we're about to hear is another reason why he's actually called Hartman, and it all makes perfect sense. You know, as much as a Kojima game makes perfect sense. <laughs> Sam enters Hartman's lab to drop off Mama's corpse. When Sam enters, there's a timer that you can see which is labelled time remaining until resuscitation. Hartman is lying unconscious in his chair as Sam enters. In the room is a massive collection of information, models of BTs, DVDs, CDs, skeletons of creatures from the past, etc. Sam notices on the PC monitor that it says cardiac arrest and Hartman actually has a defibrillator device attached to him that pulses and resuscitates him as the timer hits zero. Hartman suddenly springs awake and greets Sam. Hartman explains that his heart stops beating every 21 minutes and he technically dies over the next three minutes where he actually spends that time visiting the beach before his defibrillator wakes him up again. Because of this, he technically dies 60 times a day and uses those 60 visits to the beach each day to search for his deceased family. Hartman explains back in the past that he was in hospital for heart surgery. He has a rare genetic condition known as myocardial cordiformia, where his heart is shaped like an actual Cupid's heart. So like the typical cartoon heart that you would draw on a piece of paper, you actually get to see it in a in a ECG image that he shows you. It's actually shaped like a, yeah, just your stereotypical classic heart. So following his surgery, and when it became clear that he was going to pull through the operation, his wife and daughter went home to collect some things for him, and they were unfortunately caught in a void-out blast. 
That same void out blast also knocked out the generator's life support machine at the hospital where Hartman was being operated on. However, the hospital was spared for most of the explosion. Hartman then, at this point, unconscious, awoke on the beach for the first time, surrounded by hundreds of others all walking towards the ocean. These are obviously all of the other people that died in the void blast that killed his wife and daughter. And as Hartman explained earlier, if a lot of people will die at once, they can also often end up in the same place, or beaches will become entangled with each other. He searched for his wife and daughter, and saw them in the distance amongst the masses, but before he could reach out to them, the backup generator came online, and he was brought back to life via the defibrillator in the hospital. So now, Hartman searches the beach for his family whenever possible. Which is every 21 minutes. Hartman continues speaking to Sam, and reaches inside the body bag Mama is resting in, and retrieves what looks like a placenta in a test tube. Although this isn't an ordinary placenta, this looks rather like a tether from a BT, and he thinks that it will be important for his research. Hartman goes on to explain that if there's enough desire to remain within the beach, and feelings and emotions are focused and powerful enough, they may give rise to an entirely different beach. Even a collective purgatory for an army of the damned, like Unger's beach. Unger's misery and hatred, combined with Lou acting as a catalyst, have brought the battlefield beaches into existence. And Hartman actually suggests that Higgs probably has something to do with all of this too. That damn Higgs. He's got his fingers in everything, this guy. Before we know it though, 21 minutes are up, and Hartman asks Sam to relax until he comes back. Whilst Hartman is unconscious, Sam is able to explore Hartman's room and examine his collection of BT and Death Stranding paraphernalia. So this is kind of like a little bit of a mini-game section, really, where you can just kind of click around the room and observe various things. You just earn likes for kind of focusing in on the various bits of detail around the room, like the uh, skeleton of the whale or pictures of Hartman's family. Yeah, or Mama's corpse or or the defibrillator itself. Yeah, it was quite fun. Yeah, just just a quick way, yeah, to get Killed a bit more three detail. Minutes, isn't it? Yeah, Hartman then wakes up after three minutes and explains that there is a station with scientists researching material from before the Death Stranding. The scientists are actually from the earlier expedition as part of Bridges One, and Hartman would like Sam to bring them the chiral network. This area is apparently the only place where dinosaurs from the late Cretaceous period can be found and the land contains information on previous Death Strandings that they think they can use to understand the Death Stranding further. He explained that the tar belt near Edgenot swallowed up a distribution centre, and Sam will need to rebuild this in order to extend the network, and put the scientists back on the network. Before we leave, however, another 21 minutes is up. Hartman this time doesn't make it to his chair in time, and instead drops to the floor mid-sentence. His fall is actually cushioned by specialised padded floor layered all around his home, and Sam leaves but not before taking a cheeky DJ scratch at an old-timey gramophone and incurring some penalty likes from Hartman, despite him being dead slash unconscious at the time. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. And I really enjoyed what happens just after this as well, because you get those 20 likes down, like you lose 20 likes for scratching the disc, but then as the camera pans away when you leave... You just see Hartman on the floor, like passed out with his thumb just up. Yeah. And you get 20 likes back. <laughs> I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's really a, that's nice. probably one of the funnier parts in the game, yeah. actually. It's very, like, uh, it's very soft. But uh, yeah, I, I liked yeah, it. I just, um, I just thought that was great. Sam's little yeah boy. <laughs> and it's sort of, it's a weird one because it's a very serious game in terms of the storyline and stuff like that. But then it just injects these really, like, little bits of humour like this. And like the whole thing we talked about earlier with um, Sam looking down and BB not being there and being like, oh, like it's just little things like that. It's just it's the right amount of humor just to sort of be like, ah, nice. But then you don't get taken completely out of the seriousness of the story. Yeah, no, yeah, it, it treads a very fine line there, and that moment of brevity is is something that you can really yeah. appreciate, as you say, without it completely ruining the atmosphere. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. and I've got to say, actually, this whole Hartman cutscene and sort of interaction in the lab I thought was excellent. Hartman's great. I think he's such a well-written character. Really is. And I had no, again, similar to the whole Mama thing, you just have no idea about their backstories. Extremely well-casted as well. But that, listeners, is where I'm going to end it for this week. We are now on to what is essentially really working our way towards the finale of the game here. We are well and truly on our way to Edge Not now. Yes, the final link in the chain. I'm looking forward to seeing where the journey takes us, man. And uh, interested to see what happens in terms of rebuilding this distribution centre. I feel like that's going to be a lot of busy work. 
It's a big ask, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, they do mention that you're not going to have to build the whole distribution center just because it's not feasible. Just like the Middle Knot City that you didn't have time to rebuild, you're just going to have to jerry-rig it somehow. I look forward to seeing how we do it, man. And with that, listeners, we come to the end of the show. Those of you that have made it this far, thank you very much. We really appreciate you. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, you can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthrough stream highlights as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under Twitch tv forward slash who funk will it's been an absolute pleasure always good to be here man thanks everyone for listening so far and we will see you next week until then goodbye